you. And now on RTHK, it's time for Letter to Hong Kong with Professor Ho Lok Sang, Senior Research Fellow in the Pan Sutong Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University. The following program is a personal view program. 2020 has been an eventful year, and many people in the city have been embroiled in anxiety. Too many things have happened, and our society is not quite the same. The one thing that troubled me the most is the propensity of people to fight one another. This is not the Hong Kong I knew. Yet, everyone involved in a dogfight wants a better Hong Kong. In this sense, we all share the same dream, a just society in which people live in harmony and thrive, where people can go after their pursuits freely, free from fear and worries. The absurd thing is that while people share the same love for the city, they fight among themselves fiercely. It is apparent to me that while they share the same love for Hong Kong, they believe in different solutions. They fight one another to defend the beliefs. This is most unfortunate. We all want a solution that works. Why can't we work together to find out which solution works best? What is most frustrating is that some people are prepared to fight to get away with any means, including illegal, violent or deceitful ways. They have tremendous faith in the beliefs and they are convinced that the status quo must be overturned. They call for a revolution. The other camp, which shares the same love for the city, prefer incremental changes instead of a revolution. They also are wary of the violence and the disruption to economic and social life that have been engendered. Our police force is caught in a crossfire. Naturally, it took much blame. The revolutionary camp has now a strategy. It was proposed by Professor Benetai, who has a plan to force the revolution upon Beijing. According to his calculation, the pan-democrats will get more than half of the seats in the coming logical elections. They will vote against the budget and block any funding requested by the government, forcing the government to shut down. The government will be expected to dismiss the logical and call another election. The revolutionary camp will again win more than half of the logical seats, forcing the chief executive to resign. According to Professor Tai's calculation, Beijing will establish a provisional logical, appoint a new chief executive, and arrest political leaders in the pan-democrat camp. This will then provoke major social unrest and strikes, paralyzing the economy. That will force a bloody crackdown, which will in turn lead to extreme sanctions on the Chinese Communist Party from various nations. Professor Tai looks forward to this scenario. He likened this scenario as Hong Kong people holding on to the Chinese Communist Party to jump off the cliff. He wrote he could not imagine what would happen thereafter. I find Professor Tai's strategy most disturbing. If he has a strategy that will bring about a better Hong Kong, everyone should welcome it. But his strategy is pointing to bloodshed and jumping down the cliff. Why would this be desirable? Instead of explaining how a better Hong Kong will come about, he wrote he could not imagine what would come next. This is the same Benetai who preached love and peace when he promoted his occupied central strategy. I could not believe it when I read commentaries that related his strategy. But now I can confirm that this is exactly the strategy he described in an article he wrote in Apple Daily. I can accept people holding on to the beliefs for whatever reason. This is their prerogative. 
But I cannot accept people proposing and promoting a strategy that points to social unrest and bloodshed and not offering a vision of how Hong Kong will fare better than today. I am dismayed that many Hong Kongers subscribe to his strategy as suggested by the enthusiastic participation in the pan-democrat primaries election. Someone with the stature of Professor Tai certainly needs to have a sense of social responsibility. He may disapprove of the one-party system on the mainland, but he cannot ignore the fact that people on the mainland are happy with the government. A survey team from the Ash Center for Governance and Innovation of Harvard University found that compared to public opinion patterns in the United States, in China there was very high satisfaction with the central government. In 2016, the last year the survey was conducted, 95.5% of respondents were either relatively satisfied or highly satisfied with Beijing. In contrast to these findings, Gallup reported in January of this year that the latest polling on U.S. citizens' satisfaction with the American federal government revealed only 38% of respondents were satisfied with the federal government. Similarly, another study from Dahlia Research in Germany found that 73% of the Chinese consider China to be democratic, whereas only 49% of Americans believe the same about the U.S. Dahlia Research called the difference between how important people think democracy is and how democratic they think the country is the perceived democratic deficit. America's perceived democratic deficit is 24%. That of China is 11%. The survey covered 124,000 people across 53 countries. Many people critical of the Chinese Communist Party pointed to some blunders in the past, including, in particular, the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution. But China today is not the China before 1979. Since 1979, there has been hardly any political campaigns launched by the CCP. Focus has been on poverty alleviation and economic development. I know many people are worried about this national security law. I would urge that we had better wait and see how it plays out. Agitating over it will not help. We had gone through Occupy. We had gone through the Fugitive Law Amendment Bill. The national security law is a result of that agitation. My reading is that as long as we stick to the basic law, Hong Kong will be fine. After all, China gains nothing if Hong Kong doesn't thrive.